Next on Pridecast Live is Stonewall Spotlight. Marcus Lovinggood and Mackenzie Hussman host Stonewall Democratic Club's theme-driven magazine-style podcast, which is a retrospective. There's an outcast in everybody's life, and I am her. Welcome to Stonewall Spotlight, a monthly podcast by the Stonewall Democratic Club that will cover the most salient issues in democratic politics through the LGBTQIA and feminist lens. I'm your host, Mackenzie Hessman. And I'm Marcus Lovingood, your co-host. Stonewall Spotlight was created to spotlight the many diverse voices of the LGBTQIA community and the most salient issues in democratic politics, like you said, Mackenzie. Today, we'll be sharing with you an incredibly insightful and inspirational interview with Black AIDS Institute founder, Phil Wilson, who takes us through his experience leading the battle against the epidemic that never ended that took millions of LGBTQIA lives from us and is still ravaging our community to this day. In light of the recent protests surrounding the Black Lives Matter movement, we feel it's not only timely, but crucial we continue to focus on the continued public health of our Black LGBTQIA brothers and sisters suffering from HIV AIDS. Let's listen in. I am here with Mr. Phil Wilson. Wilson has served as Director of Public Policy for AIDS Project Los Angeles, the nation's second largest AIDS service organization. He interacted with federal, state, and local governments helping to draft legislation that would increase public funding for AIDS-related research, education, and support services, and would affect national public policy on AIDS and HIV disease. Wilson is also the former AIDS coordinator for the city of Los Angeles. In that capacity, he was responsible for implementing, monitoring, and supervising AIDS policy and for directing the city's AIDS residential education, awareness, and residential assistance programs. He also hosted a monthly cable television show and oversaw workplace training for 65,000 city employees. I'm sitting with Phil right now. Thank you so much for being on Stonewall Spotlight. I'm glad to be here. It's just such an honor to have you on the show and have you talk on AIDS past, present, and future because you are one of the pioneers. So we'll get right into the questions. Okay. All right. Fabulous. So you founded the Black AIDS Institute, the only national HIV AIDS think tank in the United States that focused exclusively on black communities. Please share with our listeners what you saw and heard that led you to the creation of the organization. Well, you know, basically we created the Black AIDS Institute because the data said that black people were disproportionately impacted by HIV and AIDS, no matter how you looked at it through the lens of gender or sexual orientation or gender identity or social economic level or level of education or age or region of the country where you live, you know, black people bear bared and continue to bear the brunt of the HIV AIDS epidemic in America. Yet black people weren't receiving the brunt of the attention or the brunt of the resources and black communities were not being mobilized to respond to the HIV AIDS epidemic on either a local or regional or national level. And so we wanted to create uh, a, a place, a space that focused on ex- 
you know, exclusively on black communities in an unapologetic way. In mm-hmm. fact, the motto of the Black AIDS Institute is our people, our problem, our solutions. Mm-hmm. Now, the mission statement is to end the AIDS epidemic in black communities by engaging and mobilizing black institutions, leaders, individuals, and in efforts to confront HIV and AIDS. Um, and one of the primary thing that the Institute does is to provide mobilization and advocacy from a uniquely and unapologetic black point of view. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for that. Uh, and, and I think it's so important because I don't think a lot of people knew how disproportionately it affected the black community up until probably your work. Well, not only you know, has AIDS, does AIDS and HIV disproportionately impact black communities, that's been true from the very, very beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, the first time I personally looked at, you know, broke out the da- data based on de- demographic information was doing the Noah and LaRouche campaign here in California. And even as early as then, which was, I believe, 1985, 86, mm-hmm. black people represented 25% of the HIV AIDS epidemic annually. Guess. We only represent 10 to 12% of the U.S. population. But as far back as 1985, 1986, we represented 25% of folks who are newly infected or folks that are living with HIV and AIDS. And even among women, you know, as early as the you know, early 80s, now, over 50% of women impacted by HIV and AIDS were black women. So the epidemic was all, has always mm-hmm. negatively disproportionately impacted black people. Uh, and quite frankly, I believe some of the challenges that we face in addressing the HIV AIDS epidemic is the mischaracterization of HIV and AIDS from the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. the disease was mischaracterized as a white gay disease. Right. Uh, and that actually created you know, an environment that I think we're still recovering from today. So. You know, mm-hmm. it amplified homophobia. It demonized you know, gay men. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it said to other communities, you don't have to worry about this. And so on every front, you know, it really derailed much of our efforts in the early days of the epidemic. And it wasn't even based on any type of analytic data, wasn't based on any research, it was just based on prejudice, homophobia, or, or, or racism. It was, a, it was based on those things, but quite frankly, not only was it not based on, the, on those things, there was data from the very beginning that actually w- exposed the true demographics true. of the epidemic. Mm. And so... One of the things that I have worked on since beginning the fight against HIV and AIDS at the very, very beginning of the epidemic is at least to try to tell the true and whole Mm -hmm. story of the epidemic, to talk about how the epidemic actually impacts all of us uh, and all of us know significantly that HIV has no respect of person. It doesn't really care if you're gay or straight or bi or trans, no, mm-hmm. um, doesn't mm-hmm. care if you're no black color. or white mm-hmm. or uh, Latino or Asian, doesn't care if you're young or old or rich or poor. It really doesn't mm-hmm. care. Mm-hmm. And so our response to the epidemic has to be as inclusive as the virus is. Absolutely. I completely agree. So there's a generational difference in the information and remembrance of HIV AIDS. Uh, many of our listeners don't remember a time before that. Uh, what can you share with them about your experiences in the early days of your diagnosis and the history? Well, you know, it's funny that the AIDS epidemic you know, is now approaching 40 years. And so not only are there people who do not remember a time when AIDS was not there, there are people 
who do not remember a time when people were dying, mm-hmm. you know, in yeah. large numbers from AIDS, mm-hmm. you know. And so for me, I got involved in the epidemic in the very, very early days for a simple reason. And it's one of the mobilization themes I talk about yet today, that it was personal. Mm-hmm. You know, my friends were getting sick um, and dying, and I knew I had to do something. In the very, very, very beginning, you know, like, Many people, I did not know or understand the magnitude of the epidemic. Mm -hmm. Like many people, I didn't understand actually the racial dynamics of the epidemic. What I knew is that my friends were getting sick uh, and they were dying. Mm -hmm. And I didn't believe that somehow there was some sort of racial protector Mm-hmm. You know, right, you know that that yeah. if you no know, clearly people were getting infected through sexual contact, mm-hmm. and I felt like if people were if anybody was getting infected through sexual contact, then that really created an environment where all of us were going to be vulnerable, and that got me started. You know, in the early days, you no, know, um, it's got to be personal. You know, sometimes it was, it was very personal. You know, yeah, and and I started keeping track of my friends who died. And, and I kept track of them until I, I reached like 250 people uh, in my, oh my personal goodness. telephone book when we kept personal written telephone books, which is some, mm-hmm. something else that people don't know mm-hmm. used and to happen. Digital now. And, and so um, um, that's at the point where I, I guess I stopped counting in that regard. But it was all personal. And I think that the most political political, the, the most powerful political activism is personal because politics is all personal. It's personal. At the end of the day, it is. You know, and it affects, affects your family, affects everybody. And like you said, uh, it has no discrimination. <laughs> really, the disease does not perpetuate. And, and really, that's something that I think is going to be a, f- a really important factor on the future of the disease is the education to our younger people because there's there's just so little of it. Um, and one of the challenges I think that we have to deal with today is that we think and talk about HIV too often today in historical terms. Mm-hmm. I firmly believe, believe that at some point in time that will be appropriate, mm-hmm. uh, but we're not there yet. No. Literally, there are people who are getting infected as we speak. Mm -hmm. As your listeners listen to this conversation, there is someone uh, in the world, in the country, no, in the city of Los Angeles that is getting infected this moment. Some of those people actually will seek treatment and have access to treatment. Some of those people will not, you know, there's someone who is getting infected. There's someone who's getting sick. Uh, and sadly, there continues to be people who are dying from, this, from the disease. And until that is no longer the case, we need to talk about HIV and AIDS in the present tense. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, because it still exists. It's still taking lives. And it's, it will continue to do that until we recognize that it's an ongoing fight. This was part one of Marcus's interview with Black AIDS Institute founder Phil Wilson. We'll be right back after this short break. This is Pridecast Live, an 11-hour special Pride program on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am Vic Jarami, and you're listening to Stonewall Spotlight by Marcus Lovinggood and Mackenzie Hussman. KPFK is Southern California's only independent progressive radio station. We are non-commercial and listener-supported. We do not take money from corporations, so they don't dictate our programming. 
That means we depend on you for our funding. You help us stay on the air. Right now, we need your help. Please contribute today to help make programs such as Pridecast Live and my show, The Blunt Post with Vic, possible. Go to kpfk.org and contribute today. Thank you. lot to be thankful for. If you're thankful for the old family vehicle, you can let it help one more time by donating it to the KPFK Vehicle Donation Program. The proceeds will help KPFK continue the quality programming you depend on throughout the year. The vehicle donation number is 877-KPFK-AUTO. That's 877-573-5288. Our representative will take care of everything. That number again is 877-KPFK-AUTO or donate online at kpfk.org. Right. 
And now back to Marcus and his interview with our special guest, Phil Wilson. You retired from the Black AIDS Institute. You've traveled internationally for HIV AIDS. You've written books, articles, and you've now been honored by many organizations uh, and even named this year's Grand Marshal of the LA Pride Parade. So what's next? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good question. I don't know uh, what's, what's next. You know, um, I am still in the beginning of this transition. I just retired a few months ago, and I'm trying to reassess my life, trying to reassess, you know, what I believe that there will be a next chapter. I don't think that I am emotionally and mentally ready to say that I'm completely done, but I don't know exactly what I'll do next. I I anticipate that I will be, I will continue to be involved in HIV and AIDS in some way, you know, I made a pledge at the beginning of the epidemic that I would be involved until it's over, mm-hmm. and it's not over yet. Mm-hmm. So I will continue to play, you know, a role, you know, to the degree that there are skills that I have that might be useful, and there are people who are interested in accessing those those tools or those experiences. Um, but I also plan or think that there may be some other things that. Um, I'll use this time to focus on or to think about. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. I, I think you deserve it. Thank you. <laughs> it's, it's, been, it's been a long ride, but uh, it's just been, your work has been really profound and uh, our community um, is where it's at today because of it. Thank you. Um, if, if there's one message you can send out to the young people that are listening, we have a lot of young people that listen here that might not know the severity of the situation. There's one message you can take home with them. What would that be? I think the message that I, that I would hope that young people could hear is or understands how powerful they are, you know, uh, that, you know, young people have the power to protect themselves. Young people have the the power to protect each other. Uh, they have the power to um, change the world. Now, and, and, and if I were speaking to a young per- person or when I speak to young people, I'll tell them, don't let anyone tell you differently. Now, the truth of the matter is that you know, on my last birthday, I turned 63. I was infected with HIV when I was 23. I was diagnosed with HIV when I was 27. Um, my doctors did not expect me to live to be 30 years old, mm-hmm. and now I'm 63 years old. And you know, some of the work, some of the organizations that I started and I founded, I did that before I was 30 years old. You know, mm-hmm. And so when older people challenge you know, kind of the um, agency, if you will, of young people, I try to remind them, you know, particularly in the HIV space and the LGBTQ space, you know, and even in you know, spaces like the women's movement and the civil rights movement and the black liberation movement, all of those movements, all of that kind of activism, you know, in many ways, the only people who change the world you know, are young people. Martin Luther King was barely 30 years old mm-hmm. when you know, he began his activism in the civil rights movement. So um, 
I would say celebrate you know, your power, but also understand there's a responsibility that comes with that, that not only can you change the world, you have a responsibility to change the world, and you have to be held accountable for what you do or don't do. Um, and and at, at some point in time, we all are going to be asked the questions, you know, you know, no, did you pay the price of the ticket for the life you have? You know, and I think that's something that I think about a lot, that what is the price of the ticket for the life that I have? Mm. Well, to our entire uh, community, extremely valuable. We can't put a price on that. Thank you so much, Phil Wilson, for being on Stonewall Spotlight. Thank you. I am Phil Wilson, and I am Stonewall. We hope you enjoyed listening to Phil's interview. If you like what you heard, search for the Stonewall Spotlight podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, and please subscribe. In our most recent episode, we talk through the current Black Lives Matter movement with several people who have been on the front lines of change. Thank you for listening to Stonewall Spotlight. The Stonewall Democratic Club is an LGBTQIA and feminist organization looking for individuals looking to get involved in the fight for full equality. Are you looking to get involved in local democratic politics in the Los Angeles County Democratic Party? Then we want you. Visit stonewalldems.org today and get involved. Marcus Lovinggood and Mackenzie Hussman 
from Stonewall Democratic Club with their show Stonewall Spotlight. Thank you. Cause you 